Welcome to Thoroughly Equipped, a podcast for women where we compare the popular women's ministry teachings, books, conferences, Bible studies, etc. to scripture. Our focus is 2 Timothy 3.16-17, that all scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so the man or woman of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. Another episode of Thoroughly Equipped. I am your host, Melba Toast, and I'm always so happy that you've decided to listen to this episode today. May it bless you and, of course, bring glory to God. Thoroughly Equipped is hosted with Striving for Eternity's Christian podcast community, where you can go to find other great podcasts such as The Rappaport with Andrew Rappaport, Theology Gals, Romans Road with Eddie Roman, Grace and Peace Radio, among many, many others. If you are looking to find something worthy to listen to on dealing with all sorts of topics discussed in a God-honoring way, then any podcast from the Christian podcast community is for you. So check them all out at podcast.strivingforeternity.org. Now, today's topic. It's an interesting one. I'm not a frequent Facebook user, not a frequent social media user in general, but I know many women who are. Social media is part of our world now. Its influence is everywhere. It's where we get entertainment, where we get our news, a way we may network, advertise our business, ourselves, share our day-to-day lives. We use it to connect, gather information, and spread information. And there are blessings and curses to these types of social technologies. The use of social media to spread the gospel is one great blessing. And of course, the opposite of that is the spread of false teaching. One of the things I think is fascinating in regards to social media and the spread of information are those little quotes that get passed around on social feeds, what we call memes. These pulled out quotes, these snippets of wisdom have become the proverbs of our time, the daily devotional for the 21st century individual. We scroll by them, like them, share them, or make them our life first for the day. Most are entertaining, funny, and encouraging in its simplicity, but every once in a while, you find the gem of a meme, the one that sounds so good, uplifting, and empowering, yet deep down it's twisted. The undiscerning woman eats these up, shares them without thought, and yet feels satisfied as she plays her part in spreading the quote-unquote wisdom within the world of platitudes. As Christian women who probably use social media on a regular basis, who live in our social media-dominated society, we should learn to differentiate between truth and lie and truth from mostly true, even in these platforms. For some women, these memes and quick and simple statements or words of encouragement may have become their daily devotion used to start their day. 
And while for most of these encouraging memes, sharing, liking, and perhaps even printing them out and hanging them up or quoting them to ourselves is not a bad thing, those that sneak in lies should be identified and can be, in the sphere of social media, a launching pad for the gospel. And that is the purpose for this episode. It's a little different than what I typically present, but I thought, why not do a full episode on this topic? And here's where you can help. While what you are listening to here is a full episode, I will split the memes up into individual snippets which can be shared in most social media platforms. So if you feel led to, please share. Each meme will be given a number, which will correlate with a link in this episode's description. They will be in video audio form, so the meme itself can be seen and the audio will be discerning its truth and comparing it to scripture. So let's dive in. Meme number one. Now this first meme was presented on a Facebook group that I joined a while back. It's the seed that planted the idea for this episode. The meme was posted in the group by a member who had taken the time and effort to discern it, making some beautifully formed arguments that this member gave me permission to share on this podcast. I have taken her main points and elaborated a bit more with my own and some scripture. Now, dear friend, you know who you are, and I thank you and God for your discernment work on this. Please keep fighting the good fight and may God bless you. So this meme says, quote, start seeing yourself as the strong, talented, loving, caring, wise, intuitive, beautiful person that Jesus sees, end quote. So first point, it can be presumptuous, I think, to claim to know what Jesus sees and that the supposed answer is just how great I am. This presumption can and does lead into point two. The claim that Jesus sees us as strong, talented, loving, caring, wise, intuitive, beautiful people denies what he himself reveals to us in scripture, that we are sinful creatures with a nature that sin against him who is the truth. John 14, 6. Our strength, Psalm 28, 78 is love, 1 John 4, 8, perfect wisdom, Colossians 2, 3, and transcendent beauty, Psalm 52, that is, God himself. We are not the standard of good, and in fact, none seeks after God, Romans 3, 11. Those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh, but those who live according to the Spirit set their minds on the things of the Spirit, for to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on Christ or mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. That was Romans 8, 5-7. Jesus, God in flesh, is not pleased with those who set their minds on things of the flesh. You can be strong talented, loving, caring, wise, intuitive, and a beautiful person by the flesh and the world standard. But these mean nothing to Jesus if we do not set our mind on the spirit and submit ourselves to God's law. Christ makes very clear what is important and is not 
what we or other people believe about ourselves, neither is it even what we believe he believes about us, but what we and the world believe about him. In Mark 8, 34-38, Jesus tells us, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Now we are called to deny ourselves. That includes whatever great thoughts we have regarding ourselves, and instead are called to lay ourselves down for his and the gospel's sake. What we believe about Christ is what matters in regards to eternity and our souls. Whether we trust and honor him or deny and are ashamed of him, that's what is important to Christ. Colossians 3.2 tells us to set our minds on the things that are above godly things and not the things that are on earth. This includes ourselves. So this leads to point three, that we are nothing without Christ. Romans 7.15-25 and John 15.5. If we are to boast, it should be in the Lord and his works and his character. For consider your calling, brothers, Not many of you were wise according to the worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even things that are are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. 1 Corinthians 1, 26-31 We do not boast of our works, our traits, or our talents, as everything we have is because God has graciously gifted it to us. James 1, 15-18 The fourth point is that this is at odds with the idea of death to self, more of him and less of me. The more we focus and come to know Christ, the more we come to realize and know our true need for him. This is why God gave the law. Man's duty to God is to assess his soul by looking at the law and seeing his sin and know that he is guilty. Romans 3, 19-20. The more we see our sins who we truly are by nature, the more we cry out to God and look to the cross. You can say, oh, I'm so this and that, and that's how Jesus sees me. But none of that will allow you to stand alone before God. Only in being covered in the blood and the beauty that is Christ can you enter the kingdom of heaven. And the fifth issue is this, that this leads to an inaccurate assessment of one's walk with Christ. Do you think this way of thinking pushes one to seek after Christ with a sense of urgency or desperation? No, it encourages the fuzzy feels and sounds very much like 
you're perfect just as you are, which translate into not needing a savior or needing saving, which is not true for anyone. Only in realizing the severity of my sins, how contrary they are to the heart of God, that without him I would be deserving of any wrath he determined for me for rejecting him, do I come to know the Lord and appreciate his mercy and forgiveness. If there is anything good or beautiful in me, it's because of him. If there is any righteous way in me, that righteousness is imputed to me because of who Christ is, not because of any decisions I made or didn't make, words I said or didn't say, etc. The credit belongs to Christ. Of all the traits listed, my sister in Christ who posted her reply to this meme states that wise is the one that bothered her the most, as it reminded her of Romans one twenty two. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. Not only that, but James 1.5 makes it plain that God is generous to give wisdom to all who ask of him, that it is not possible to be wise outside of God, and I believe this is an excellent point. She ends her post with this statement that I will quote from her post as it is a God-glorifying way to end this meme critique. Quote, God's love is so vast and multifaceted. There are many ways in which he demonstrates his love to us, but I think one way we can grow our love for him is to realize we are very unlike him. Romans 5.8 Consider who we were before we were saved, the depravity and deception we were living in, and the healing, grace, and forgiveness he extends to us when he made himself known to us. I mean, 2 Timothy 2.25 even says that God grants repentance leading to the knowledge of the truth. Consider even the sin we may still struggle with and are reliant on God to overcome every day. We serve an amazing and perfect God. Let us always keep our focus and affections on Him and not ourselves. End quote. Amen, sister. <laughs> Amen. Meme number two. Dear God, let me be content with who I am, what I have, and where you are leading me. Help me to have a mindset of confidence, courage, and thankfulness all day long. Amen. Now, prayer is a great way to start our day. Most of this meme, I would say, is, a, is good to pray, but most is not good enough. Most is not all, and that is how falsehoods creep in. Paul describes false teaching like a mere pinch of yeast or leaven. Though placed in the multiple cups of good ingredients for unleavened bread, the slightest pinch of yeast will multiply and grow. Galatians 5.9 It only takes a little bit of irreverent, empty chatter, and a mostly true statement to spread the lie like gangrene. 2 Timothy 2.17 Now to be content with what we have and where God is leading us, these are good things to pray. As scripture instructs us to keep our life free from love of money and to be content with what we have, for God has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not fear. What can man do to me? Hebrews thirteen five to 6 
This is only one of the many other verses relaying how contentment is one of the character traits of a Christian. But should we be praying for God to make us content with who we are? First, just who are we apart from Christ? Ephesians states that we, mankind and humans, are born children of wrath, who follow the prince of the power of the air, who works in the sons of disobedience. All of us are born dead in trespasses and sin. This was Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 to 3. This is who we are. Dear friend, knowing this, are you content with remaining this way? Being born children of wrath, should we continue to pray that God grants us peace to be content in this sinful state? No. God himself was and is not content with our state. In eternity past, the Godhead determined that the Father would send the Son to take the wrath we deserve as he took our sins upon himself, making full payment for them, 1 Peter 1, 18-21. Therefore, providing for us what we need to be made right with God and to bring us to Christ, who not only is the just and the justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus, Romans 3.26, but now, because of God, those of us who believe are in Christ Jesus, who became to us wisdom from God, righteousness, and sanctification and redemption. So therefore, as scripture says, let the one who boasts... Boast in the Lord, 1 Corinthians 1, 30-31. Christ is our wisdom, righteousness, sanctification, and redemption. Anyone who is in Christ is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come, 2 Corinthians five seventeen. The Holy Spirit given to us guides us by his word, the truth, John seventeen seventeen, conforming us little by little, day by day, to be like Christ. Nowhere in scripture are we instructed to be content with who we are, nor to pray to God asking him to cause us to be content with who we are. Becoming content in who we are brings complacency in fighting against sin and leads us to boast in ourselves as we depend on ourselves. Instead, we should understand our daily need to pray as Jesus instructed to Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Matthew six twelve to 13 Christ's instructions given here reveal how we are to be uncontent with our sins, daily asking for forgiveness and protection against the evil, and striving to be like Christ, our Lord and Master, who continually did the will of the Father. Yes, we fail daily and daily depend on and trust in the gospel, but it is our daily dependence on this gospel that drives us to be uncontent with our fleshly state and strive to be more like Christ. Now, what about asking God to give us a mindset of confidence, courage, and thankfulness? Well, in scripture, we have plenty of verses instructing us to be thankful. There's so much to be thankful for as a disciple of Christ. All that we need has been given to us in Christ. But does scripture say anything about having a mindset of confidence or courage? Well, yes, but the confidence and courage is rooted in something and someone. Many popular teachers and preachers want you to be confident. You are great. You are awesome. God thought you were worth saving and that is how much he loves you. 
Now, these types of teachings all point to ourselves, confidence in ourselves, and confidence turned inward is pride. There's a cautionary tale in scripture of a mighty king and his confidence in who he was and what he had done. Perhaps you've heard it too. His name was King Nebuchadnezzar. We can read the record of God's work in his life in Daniel 4, as God made low King Nebuchadnezzar to tear down his pride and take from him his confidence in himself and what he thought he achieved. The kingdom was taken from him, and he was driven out from among men, and his dwelling was with the beasts of the field. Daniel 4, 31-32 And a beast he lived as, until the king came to know that the Most High rules the kingdom of men, and gives it to whom he will. Daniel four thirty two. Like King Nebuchadnezzar, we should know that it is in God's grace that we have what we have, and it is sufficient for us. Even in our weakness, Christ's power is made perfect. Like Paul, we can boast in our weaknesses so that Christ's power may rest on us. From him comes our courage. It is Christ in whom all our confidence should reside. The more we know him, the more we trust in him. The more courageous we are in our actions, as fear is cast aside in confidence of our Lord and Savior. This prayer should request that God, in his grace, grant us knowledge and understanding of Christ and contentment in him, thereby increasing our confidence, courage, and thankfulness in and because of him. Meme number three. Dear God, please untie the knots, all of the cannots, should nots, may nots and have nots. Please erase from my mind the thoughts that I am not good enough. The play on words here is probably what attracts and makes this meme so interesting. Put forward as a short prayer, Yolanda Vansant, the creator of this meme through simplereminders.com, has in a very imaginative way compared the law to something we would call upon God to, quote-unquote, untie. Then she, again, by a very short prayer, equates untying these knots to essentially believing that we are not good enough. And by this, it implies that to think or know that we are not good enough is a bad thing. So there are two points that need to be examined here. One, that cannots, should nots, may nots, and have nots should be quote unquote untied. And two, that any thoughts of not being good enough should be erased from our minds. So let's address these. Number one, cannots, should nots, and may nots are laws. And while this meme is in the context of our mind and thoughts, we can rightly determine that the cannot, should not, and may nots can and may be in regards to certain moral laws. Scripture tells us that all humanity suppress the truth and unrighteousness, that they know there is a God, and in knowing God there is a knowledge of his wrath against all the ungodliness and unrighteousness of men. For a man to know that God exists and that he will punish all who are ungodly and unrighteous means that man knows that there are things he can and cannot do. These cannots, shouldnots, may nots, 
are revealed to us through guilt. The feeling of guilt is a result of transgressing that moral standard that is absolute and universal for all humans. To pray and ask that God, quote-unquote, untie this moral standard, the cannots, shouldnots, maynots, seems to me not to be a good thing, as if it is releasing us from some burden or setting us free in some way, but seems to be what the Holy Spirit, through the Apostle Paul, describes as suppressing the truth and not honoring God. God's word is truth, John seventeen seventeen, and in it, we not only find law, these cannots, should nots, and may nots. And so therefore, this brings to our issue in point number two, the reason for the giving of these laws. These are given to us to reveal to us our sinful nature and how then God's wrath is against us, that there is no way of saving ourselves because it is our very nature that must be saved, that we must be saved from. We are not enough, and therefore we need a Savior to save us from the wrath of God. And so God's word in his grace and loving kindness records for us God's saving plan throughout history to bring to us, through the nation of Israel, his son, Jesus Christ, the God-man, who would be the spotless lamb and perfect sacrifice for our sins. These cannots, may-nots, should-nots, etc., reveal our sinful nature that there is a wrath against us and shows us how we are not enough to pray that these be untied and that we quote-unquote erase from our minds the fact that we are not enough is exactly playing into satan and the world's lies the self-reliance pride and self-worship that is so prevalent in our world is the spirit of the age this philosophy spurns one on to rely on ourselves instead of what scripture teaches that we are to rely on God for all things. It glorifies creation instead of the creator. Romans 1, 22-23 Now, all three of these means of encouragement strike at our reliance on God. They run against the teaching of the weakness of man promoting the lie that we are strong, independent, powerful creatures who God looks on with admiration and favor because of those attributes we propose to have. God looks on his children in admiration and favor, not because of anything in us, but because of Christ. Statements like these drive us to look at ourselves trust ourselves and love ourselves and do not train us to go to God for all spiritual and earthly needs. It draws our faith away from depending on Christ in our weaknesses and instead brings us to faith in ourselves, our strengths and achievements. Even as these things are given to us by God, we should always be looking to him and praising him in our strengths and weaknesses. As Paul states that if he must boast, he will boast of the things that show his weakness, 2 Corinthians 11.30, and that God's grace was sufficient for him, for God's power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul chose to boast all the more gladly of his weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon him, 2 Corinthians 12.9. So, my conclusion, ladies, 
I'm going to play for you a clip from a sermon by Paul Washer in regards to recognizing our weakness and where acknowledging it will draw us to Christ. His teaching here is just brilliant. I am so tired of hearing Christians, t Christians telling me, Brother Paul, I'm just so weak. And you say, well, Brother Paul, you started your sermon saying you were weak. So why can't we say it? Well, I want you to understand the phrase and the context of it. First of all, you're not weak. And I can prove it to you. In the last week, W-E-E-K, how much time did you spend grasping and striving to know God in His Word and in prayer knowing that apart from God and His work on your behalf, uh, you weren't going to be able to make it? Oh, see, it's really easy to say, I'm so weak. Your problem is not that you're so weak. Your problem is that you think you're strong. And I can prove it by just looking at your devotional life. Do you see? Our problem is not that we're too weak. Our problem is that we do not recognize our weakness. Do you see that? That's why the greatest... The men and women that have been most used of God throughout Christian history seem to have only one thing in common, a recognition of their weakness. Now, here's what I want to show you, and it's so, so important. Weakness is not a hindrance to power. Weakness is the catalyst to spiritual power. The problem is wrong response. So first of all, you need to recognize something. Everybody's weak. Everything that is demanded of you in the New Testament is absolutely impossible for the natural man. There you go. So now everybody's on the same level. Me, you, Spurgeon, John Piper, all of us, everyone's weak. That's it. Now you can't use weakness as an excuse anymore because everybody's just as weak. No one can do this stuff. No one. So there you go. We're weak. The question is, what do we do? Now, many people just mouth weakness because it's the Christian thing to say. I'm weak. Other people found it very convenient to use that phraseology. Why? Because they can use it as an excuse for their sin. Well, I'm weak. Everybody's weak. But the right mindset here is in recognizing your weakness, it drives you to God, immediately to God. Believing in faith that He's the fountain He claims to be. That He's the source and the helper that He claims to be. That He is one of unlimited resources. That He does not greedily hand out to children, but He lavishes upon us. So see, your problem is that you're really not recognizing your weak. Or you recognize your weak, but you just stay there in your weakness. The thing is, your weakness ought to drive you to God every time. But here's a problem. Let's enter in with your heart condemning you and Satan helping your heart condemn you. See, I have found so many people. I saw someone last night and I dealt a long time with them. Precious little girl. She recognized her weakness. She recognized her frailty. She recognized her sin. She recognized there were some things in her life she couldn't overcome right now. 
But here was her problem. She would see her sin, and because of the work of the devil, and sometimes our own heart condemning us, she would put herself in the penalty box every time that she sinned. Well, you can't go to God right now. You can't just keep running back to Him. I mean, you sinned yesterday and you repented and asked for forgiveness. Now you've done the same exact thing today. I mean, you run back to Him, you're just a hypocrite. You don't appreciate God. You don't have a high view of God. What do you think? God just hands out pardon to everyone? And isn't that what we do? And isn't that what we think? We sin, a sin that we've already sinned and already repented of, and because of it we think we need to put ourselves in a penalty box for a little while at least, a couple of days, and try to work our way back into favor before we come to God. Because if we, th we think, actually, you mean if I go back every time I do this, just immediately... Not only going back and asking for forgiveness, but expecting forgiveness. Isn't that hypocrisy? Isn't that a low view of God? Isn't that treating God as a forgiveness machine? No, it's being biblical. It's what poverty of spirit is supposed to do to us. Now again, I'm not preaching this, hopefully, to unconverted church people who are going to say, wow, if God's that good, I'll sin all the time and just go back and ask for forgiveness. Hopefully I'm not talking to people like that. Hopefully I'm talking to genuine Christians who really want to be something they are not yet, but when they find themselves frail and they find themselves weak and they find themselves sinning the same sin, they kind of huddle over here and wait Maybe read their Bible a few days, pray some more, show God they're really sincere before they run over there and actually try to get some forgiveness. No! One of the great joys of my life is when I discovered that the moment I sin the sin I always sin, my first response ought to be to latch a hold of Christ and not beggarly, not thinking, oh, here I am, you ought to strike me down. But no, I latch a hold of Christ saying, I believe your promises. I am in a different realm. I am free. I am a saint. I've been moved out of Adam and condemnation and law. All of it was paid for on that tree. When he died, he knew all of it. He forgave all of it. I'm free. It's absolutely spectacular. Amen. So it is. So ladies, the next time you come across encouraging so-called Christian memes like this on your Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram feed, you can see the flaw in its message. And perhaps you will feel led to speak or type a response that attacks the lies and opens the door to giving the gospel in love and truth. Even in these little textual exchanges, we can draw out our weapon and enter into what Paul describes as spiritual warfare, as the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh, but have divine power to destroy strongholds. We destroy arguments and every lofty opinion raised against the knowledge of God and take every thought captive to obey Christ. 2 Corinthians 10, 4-5 And so I pray that you are boasting in your weaknesses and turning to Christ for strength, mercy, forgiveness, salvation, sanctification, and life. That you are, day by day, minute by minute, aware of your need, yet at the same time walking in faith that He is able, He is our hope, 
He is our righteousness and being renewed in your mind, taking every thought captive to love and obey him. I pray you are in his word.